everybody. I'm Josh. And I am Alyssa. And we are back. Today's episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A read-along pod where we dig into the good, the great, the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. Woo-hoo. I'm an old Dresden vet. And I'm new. This is my first time through. And together, we're chewing through this thing. The magnum opus of Mr. Butcher. Mrs. Butcher's baby boy. And we are very delighted about it. We're sitting here working through part two. Chapters seven through 12 of Death Masks. That's book mm-hmm. five. First one to have the old Knights of the Denarius popping up. Bad guys, as they say in the business. The official term is bad guys. Of course. Oh, goodness gracious. How you doing today, Ice? Doing well. Hanging out. I'm on vacation this week, so all well and good. Must be nice, huh? Hey, you know, I try. Those pushy bureaucratic government jobs soaking up tax dollars while you put your feet up. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Heck yes. (laughs) Uh, Usually you're putting other people's feet on a table. That's true. Body yeah, that is also true. So in this case, you're allowed to put your feet up on a table. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, I did have to work today. I worked, I had practice at eight 30 AM. Oh God. That's early. You heard that right in the AM. It's atrocious, but I was up and then I went on a bike ride. Oh my goodness gracious. Mm. I'm, like, I'm nigh on a normal human being today. Not quite, but we're we're knocking on the door. Hey, you're working on it. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, I'm not. I, mean, I want to go as far away from that. Th- whatever this existence is, is atrocious. I don't want to do that anymore. But <laughs> for one day, and by one day, I mean I have two morning practices a week, maybe even three this. Oof. I don't even know. So summer schedule is so fuck freaking. I'm allowed to say fucking, actually. Yes, um, you are. You're not, not at work. At practice, I'm not allowed to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. I am not a morning person at all in any way, shape, or form, and I work at 8 a.m. every day, and that is early for me. Oh, God. Yeah. No, I I haven't had a phone for over a week, which is strangely freeing. It's also terrifying. I get get lost all the time driving because I used to just have ways ticking along. I listen Mm -hmm. to radio, or usually it's audiobooks, but now it's radio because I don't have a phone to play audiobooks. Oh, gosh. And, um... But yeah, no, it's great. No one can cut. No one can yell at me. No one can ask me questions. It's like, it's an interesting life. I want a phone again, but I have no way to contact the outside world if I'm not sitting at my computer. And it's so great. <laughs> <laughs> I really am I'm in the market to fix it. But my, uh, yeah, no phone, no phone. Joshi is a, an interesting state of being. So I had to get an alarm clock. Gosh, to wake up this morning, like an actual alarm clock is actually really, really fun. It's like old technology, you know? Um, <laughs> is it a clock uh, radio? <laughs> it is actually not a clock radio. Oh, and it, like, lights, it lights up, which is great because I try to black out my room as much as possible. Oh, yeah. Mostly because my eye mask doesn't stay on at night because I move around too much. Mm-hmm. Either I, way. I have that same problem. That's why I have blackout shades. Yeah, no, I, my shades aren't blackout, but they're like pretty dark because I couldn't afford the blackout. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Either way, we are here. We're ready to rock. You want to catch us up in universe and then I'll take us down the path of chapter seven? 
You bet. So we, Harry's been hired to find the Shroud of Turin by a Pope, sorry, from a, by a priest from the Vatican. And obviously things are going smoothly as they normally do. Of course. Uh, and it's the, this is Father Vincent who we, we met. Um, and he wants Harry to find it. He wants the church is interested in recovering some stolen property. It's been stolen by a set of thieves called the church mice. <laughs> and one of the church mice has been brutally murdered. And all of the clues point to Chicago. So Harry's on the lookout in Chicago for said Shroud of Turin and said church mice. And while things are always so orderly and neat in his life, he gets attacked by a creature that we later learn is a fallen angel, basically. And we we meet the three knights of the of the cross. We already know Michael, but we meet his two buddies, Shiro and I Sonia. Shiro and Sonia. And how could you forget Sonia? How dare Sorry, my brain stopped working. I really like Sonia too, especially after these chapters. <laughs> You'd see why I like him. Yes. And the knights have defeated the fallen angel, who we learn is of the order of the blackened denarius. So, which I thought was really interesting because uh, we were talking about this um, right before we started recording is that denarius are uh, ancient Roman silver coins. And one of my crackpot theories was the 30 pieces of silver that Judas got, Judas Iscariot got for betraying Christ. And lo and behold, Behold, lo, all of those things. Absolutely. I was really excited that I guessed that right. (laughs) I do love it when I guess things right. It makes me feel really smart, (laughs) which doesn't often happen. And we are, we've completed that task. Um, Sonia has a broken arm and they are headed back to St. Mary's of the Angels. Obre Sanito. Mm-hmm. All right. So they head back to St. Mary's of the Angels. We get another description of this big, gigantic church. I like the line where he says, if, mm-hmm. if there's anything you like in the way of Gothic architecture, you can find it somewhere on St. Mary's. I love that. Yeah, it's just a good line. I've, I've never seen this place. I've never even seen pictures of this, which is interesting. You think I would have. Um, now I'm curious. Is it a real place? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Big, big gigantic. Uh, apparently, it's modeled after um, Cathedral Notre Dame. Oh, okay. Notre Dame, as they say, when they don't pronounce most of the letters in their sentences, <laughs> as the French are wont to do. Oh, wow. Oh, it's a dumb language. Not, except if you listen to us in France, then it's a great language. We love you. <laughs> but honestly, they could s- just say all the letters, right? Like, why have so many letters if you're just going to ignore most of them? That was always my problem. With hey, French. there are plenty of words in the, the English language that do the same. Oh, I think that's stupid too. Just so we're okay. clear, you don't like you don't like silent letters. What's the point? <laughs> um, and also, so I just pulled up the images of Saint Mary's of Saint Mary of the Angels in Chicago, and yeah. it is a hulking brick 
And it's it's actually really cool. The inside is ridiculous. Now I want to go to Chicago to see this. Yeah, church. I want to see it. Too. I wanted to see it since I've. I love it. I love old churches. There's a bunch of cool old churches in San Francisco near where I live, and it's just like they're it's ridiculous. It's awesome. So yeah. you ever been to the Mission up there? No, I haven't. I don't know why you would. I'm just curious. Those are old in a different way. Yes. Yes. M- much more. Um, what's the word? And things it's more like purpose driven. Mm-hmm. They're like very, very simple comparatively for sure. Um, the missions Spartan, maybe. Yeah, they're still really cool historical buildings. Yeah. yeah, especially for Cal, like for California, for the United States in general, where we just don't have buildings under that old. When I was in England, when mom and dad came to visit, we went to this church that was 800 years old. When you stood in the center of the church, because, you know, all those churches are shaped like crosses, and you looked up along one of the pillars, it wasn't straight. Because 800 years of settling <laughs> makes them a little wavy. Yeah, you would think. That's well, and I, we used to, um, one of my friends worked in a pub that was built in the 1760s. It was one of the pubs from the, like, because it was an old shipping village, and it was in the one of the oldest no, 1660s, maybe. But it was like okay. this, this, like it was still a functional pub. And it was like one of the oldest pubs in I bet the beer line Southern disgusting. England. It's just really damn cool. There's a uh, I love pub in buildings. Scotland. When I was looking up, so I went to Europe a few years back just for a, mm-hmm. uh, like an eat, pray, love. Um, <laughs> some people call it vacation, I guess. But um, <laughs> there's a bar. It's a pub, obviously, not a bar. But it's like been continuously operating since like the 800s or something ridiculous. It's like it's not like on the road. It's 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 out mm. the way. Yeah. Um, but it was just one of the things that I didn't actually end up getting to. But it's, it's so I don't I don't want to say the year exactly because it's not. Oh, when is it? But it's it's like been opera. Oh, there you go. Sheep's Height in 1360. So not quite as old as I said. But it's um. Well, that one. That's cool. one oh, in Edinburgh. No, that's one in Edinburgh. So there's a different one. Gotcha. Yeah, it was, it's, the pool arms is the one I was thinking of. Is one of okay, them. but yeah, there was a, there's one that the 1600s. Yeah, there are a couple of them in pool that were just so cool and so that are old. just bananas old. Oh yeah, it's just kind of kind of cool. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, you know, and, and like when you're kind of a nerdy. Um, is that, did she work at the pool arms? I think it was the pool arms she worked at. But it's you know it was either down to the King Charles, but they're like these cool old buildings that are still in use. Where you know in Southern California, we think of, you know, the 200-year-old missions. It's so old. They're crazy. It's it's fantastic. I think it's fascinating. But I do love old buildings. Sorry, aunt, we got distracted by the Gothic architecture. Yeah, old stuff. Um, when was San Luis Rey built? I think 1770s. 1798 was... Uh, I was close. San Luis Rey. There you go. Louis de Francia. There you go. Wow, that's crazy. I thought they were even a little bit older than that. What are we doing? I guess we're actually doing a book a book uh, podcast right now, right? <laughs> it's not just you and me nerding out over old buildings. <laughs> oh goodness gracious! I mean, it is just us nerding out about a lot of things. <laughs> that's very very true. <laughs> the Josh and Lissa Old Church Architecture Podcast, Old Church and Pubs Podcast. That would be cool because then we could um, travel said churches and pubs and 
use it as a tax write-off. And drink. That too. And eat delicious pub food. Move it on. Anyway. So they find, they, they get Father Fort Hill to let them in. Good old Father Fort Hill. Michael gives the folded cloth with the silver coin in it to Father Fort Hill and says, put this in the cast. I like the exchange where he asks success and Michael says, in part. So they got the coin back, but they obviously weren't able to save Rasmussen, the gentleman who was being uh, controlled somewhat willingly by Ursiel, which I do like. Ursiel is the bear. Mm -hmm. I think it just means bear angel. I think that's what Ursiel translates to roughly. Um, And that was a bear angel, or in this case, a bear former angel. And they go into the church, basically looking to get some food. Michael's got to call his wife and somebody's got to get Sonia a, what do you call that? Splint. And someone's got to get Sonia a splint for his arm. So I like that. Sonia's like, I'll be fine. I'll help with food. Sit down. Michael, call your wife. I'll take care of it. So Shiro kind of takes charge. Obviously he's the elder statesman of the three. And there's an exchange here with Sonia where he says, you use the forces of magic. I take it. What gave it away? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Clearly this is a conversation that Harry has every so often. We Mm -hmm. haven't seen it, but just when you're a wizard and you're so public about it, presumably you're going to have these conversations where people think you're something you're not based on, you know, how people treat Harry Potter and Mm -hmm. cabbage patch dolls and all sorts of things. (laughs) What gave it away? How long have you been a Wiccan? A what? A pagan. A witch. I'm not a witch. I'm a wizard. <laughs> I love this, this may or may not come up later, but what's the difference? Or what is the difference? Wizard has a Z. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, just so good. No one appreciates me. I mean, little... But I love that he has his own commentary. Exactly. <laughs> He's used to this conversation and also he's used to people not appreciating him. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is a good commentary that we get. We could come up and we've heard about them kind of existing in this universe where they're not really powerful necessarily. But Wicca is a religion, more fluid than most, but it's still mm-hmm. a religion. And there's a line in, in here that I really like where he's, he's not big on re- religion. He likes magic, but it's like being a mechanic or an engineer. There's forces that behave a certain way. And if you know what you're doing, you can get them to work for you. And you don't really need a god or a goddess or whatever to get involved. You're not the religious man, then. I wouldn't burden any decent system of faith by participating in it. <laughs> then we learn that Sonya feels the same way. He's been an atheist since childhood. <laughs> Which like, is just special. It really is great. And, you know, he says he he risks his life to help people because it must be done for the good of the people. Someone must place themselves in harm's way. Some must pledge their courage and their lives to protect the community. Uh, wait, wait a minute. You became a knight of the cross because you were a communist? Certainly not. Trotsky. Very different. I love it. Well, that different, but you know. Um, he said, how'd you get your sword? He got Esperakius from Michael. Since when has Michael gone running off to, to Russia? Not that, Michael. 
that, Michael? Pointing up to the sky. <laughs> so, We're just you got just handed like- a holy sword by an archangel, uh-huh. told to go fight the forces of evil, and you somehow remain an atheist? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> and then the... Perhaps some could argue that I am agnostic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Entire chapter is just so good. Oh my god! Well, and it's just I love Sonia. Like the, I'm, I'm listening to this, and it's just spectacular because it's very much it's Harry's met his match. <laughs> exactly. Two like strong-willed people that will refuse to admit what's right in front of them. Yeah. Yes. And they're both completely avoiding the realistic elements. Of of the world, of their own existence. And it's fantastic. Yeah. I do like that Harry describes himself as, I'm not agnostic, just nonpartisan. Theological Switzerland, that's me. <laughs> I do love that as well. So their beliefs, their, their competing and related belief systems are very amusing to me. Um, you know, Sonia's met more than one divine being. And he says, it's possible that I am mad. And all of this is a hallucination. (laughs) Which I mean, when you take out all of the uh, arguments of what other people and you, you just own them, like what other people could say about you. I mean, that's a really good way for to handle it all. Absolutely. I mean, outside of this room, how many people that they come across really believe in the things that they're fighting for and yeah. of, you know? It's fantastic. Shiro comes back with some sandwiches and they start eating. And you know, there's a Sonya, you know, recognizes that he told you about his beliefs. And he's like, yeah, I don't get why he'd be recruited as a Knight of the Cross. Man sees faces, sees skin, flags, membership lists, files. God sees hearts. I like that too. Sonya is a good man. Which I love. Again, I, I, I've, you know, said it offline. I think, and I've said, I've, I've hinted at it here. But Sonya is definitely one of my favorite characters in the series, <laughs> both oh, because because of the already. ridiculous, ridiculous belief system there, but also again, he's a good man. And I, we talked, we touched on this last week about Harry, where I'm, I'm very critical of a lot of things that Harry does and says and thinks, mm-hmm. but I always come back for more because I genuinely respect and appreciate and want to spend time with good people. And that's in real life, in my fantasy life, you know, like, um, I, I, I don't, I don't got time for the other thing, you know, they start having a conversation about Harry looking for the shroud and, you know, he's been hired to look for it. (laughs) Again, they they have these kind of philosophical conversations that are are generally easy when you're an anointed knight of God (laughs) with a magic sword, you know, like you, you practice magic and, you know, do you love money, Mr. Dresden? Like, no, I, I, used, I used to think I loved it, but now I realize it's just dependency. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's just so yeah, well. Is what it is. So well portrayed. And I love that Sh- Shiro realizes he's met his match and is just, he, he's not going to continue this line of questioning. Mm-hmm. Michael comes back, his face is troubled. <laughs> Harry said, thinks, I suppose if I had called Charity Carpenter that way late, I'd be troubled after the conversation too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, oh, only Michael understands her and she's the only, he's the only one that she appreciates. They get into this conversation about basically that Harry's in trouble 
Ursiel did not come to kill Dresden. He came to, basically, they want to take control of him. Mm-hmm. We learn a little more about the, the man in the soul gaze. His name was Rasmussen. He was a 49er on his way out to California to find some gold. And Harry doesn't understand how this is possible because the fallen can't just act without your consent. They can't take over your body without you agreeing. And basically what we learn is that, you know, it's death by a thousand cuts that they, the coins offer the bearer power or riches or abilities or help. And they give them exactly what you need in that moment. And it's little by little, they take ownership of you. And eventually you're like Rasmussen. You're completely trapped and enveloped by this creature. And not only can you not get out, but you don't even want to get out. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're worried is going to happen to Harry. He, you know, Harry says that he's been tempted and he can handle it. And Michael says, no, you can't. Against the Denarians, few mortals can. The fallen know our weaknesses, our flaws, how to undermine. Even warned and aware of them, they have destroyed men and women for thousands of years. I said I'll be fine. Pride before fall, Shiro grunts. And we actually... In a previous book, we had that pride goeth before the fall. Harry said it about himself. Exactly, right? These Shiro is very intuitive, for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, as he was with Sanya. And and you see it here as we go through this, where he he knows, I don't say he knows more than he's letting on, so much as he knows more than the average person would in his situation. He's very observant. He's aware. uh, He's aware, he listens, all those, all those good things. And, you know, Harry's talking about how he's not going to be tempted by these creatures. And he immediately thinks of what they would tempt him with. Yeah. And specifically, in this case, beating the living snot out of Duke Paolo mm-hmm. Ortega. Which is one he, he, he immediately is tempted without even the tempter. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. no one tempting him and he's being tempted. And he blinks and he sees that Michael recognizes exactly what's going on in his brain. Uh, you know, maybe not the Don Paolo Ortega stuff, but the understanding that he's recognizing what this power could give Harry and how much of an advantage he'd have over the enemies that he runs into all the time. And You know, they mentioned that father, he tells him that Father Vincent came to, to Harry to look for the shroud. And Father Vincent had said that Father Fort Hill recommended Harry. Mm-hmm. Here, Michael says Fort Hill asked him not to come to you. Which is interesting. It certainly is. Because it's it sort of makes you question where the truth is. Exactly. Which which priest do we believe more? And I mean, it, it's always going to be somewhere in between, right? Like, yeah, that's how the truth works. But yeah, well, and the thing too is that the priests are men, and he and Forthill Fort may have said Harry is someone who could handle this, but I wouldn't. Don't go to him, you know. Yeah. So he could have technically recommended his abilities, 
Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's always going to be somewhere loophole. in between, but it's definitely yeah. interesting based on it's directly, almost directly contradictory to what we heard not a chapter ago. Uh, maybe two chapters ago, but you get what I'm what I'm saying. Yeah, and it's a very interesting kind of this sort of uh, reveal is very interesting because we do have those two priests who are, and we're kind of trained to just accept what priests say at face value. Yeah, just so as a, and as a natural, yeah, natural societal response. They're a man of God. So it is it that's interesting. Good. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there's a great exchange as we close out the chapter here where Michael stands with Shiro and says, Harry, you are my friend. You've saved my life. I've named a child for you. But stay out of this business for my sake, if not for your own. And if I don't, then I'll have to protect you from yourself. In the name of God, Harry, please don't push this. Harry leaves without saying goodbye. He heads home to go to bed. So in regards to that, where Michael is removing Harry's choice from this or trying to. Mm -hmm. And I believe in the past, Michael has come down on Harry for trying to remove his choice from situations. Where Harry says, you can't come do this. You can't come do this. It's too dangerous. Interesting. And so it's just a kind of, a, it's, you know, one of those things where it's, this chapter has a couple of those kind of moments, which again, it might not be intentional, but I really do appreciate how this is structured. Mm -hmm. I do oh, love, sure. I love the way. I, I do love the way he structures things. I well, do. there's a reason why I really wanted to stop. I mean, I, six is also a perfect number for our podcast where we can mm -hmm. chew through them. Yeah. Um, they, they do go a little bit long when we do six. Like last week's was over two hours if you include everything or right around two hours. So we, we're hoping to cut them a little bit shorter than that. Mm -hmm. But this chapter turns a lot of what we've seen on its head mm -hmm. in very yeah. subtle ways. Mm-hmm. And that's yes. why I wanted this to be the start of this week so we can really dig into it because it's, it's not hitting you in the face with reveals or anything like that, mm -hmm. but there's some stuff in here that definitely when you take a step back is, uh, it's a little meaty. Yeah. I mean, we are what over a half hour into this and <laughs> I mean, we did have, have Joshua in. and Lisa church talk. Okay. We did have church our, talk. our church, our church architecture talk, church and pub arch architecture talk, but um, yeah, but yeah, we to go off on tangents is sort of what we do. All right. So Harry heads back to his apartment and Mr. is sitting at the top of the steps. Remember the last time we were here, Mr. had gone away because baddies were at the door. And he says, Mr. tended to make lots of noise and then leave whenever supernatural danger was around, which just <laughs> goes to show that my cat has more considerable, has considerably more sense than me. All right. I do, too. I really do, too. And I love him in this section of chapters. Uh, so he heads down to the lab and he makes a comment about his summoning circle. And he says, experience had shown me that you never can tell when you might need a ritual circle to defend yourself from magical attack or for its other most obvious use, keeping a denizen of the Never Never, a temporary prisoner. Why doesn't he have a chair? 
I don't think he needs one. In the circle. In the circle. Oh, that's... Yeah. With like a blanket and a pillow, you know, like... (laughs) Because not everything would be so gentle with it, I think. And the thing is, they could use the chair to break the circle. No, no, they they couldn't. If it's it's all inside the circle, they can't get inside the circle. I'm telling you. That would be a clever wizard. Tired wizard, but a clever wizard. I understand. I was just yawning. (laughs) That's why I didn't answer. So... Harry wakes up, Bob knocks on the skull with a pencil, (laughs) and they start talking about the duel. And Harry's trying to find his copy of the chords. Bob knows exactly where it is. He opens up a vellum scroll shut with a white ribbon, and he starts looking at it. It started off with the word insomuch, and the syntax got more (laughs) opaque from there. And so Bob offers Cliff uh, Cliff Notes' version of it. And he says it's based on Code Duello. Well, technically, it's based on much older rules and eventually inspired the Code Duello, but that's just chicken and eggs. Ortega is the challenger and you're the challenged. Um, and Bob talks about things like we do. Well, actually, it comes from this. <laughs> We're nerds, but that's okay. Fair enough. And Bob would be a great third host of the Oh, my God. He'd be amazing. I could have this skull right on my desk. I'd get a second ca- uh, microphone for him. Um <laughs> I actually have skull planters. It'd be very entertaining. Uh, I know that I get to pick the weapons and the ground, right? Wrong, Bob said. You pick the weapons. He gets to choose the time and location. Damn, I muttered. I was going to take high noon out in the park somewhere, but I guess I can just say that we'll duel with magic. If it is one of the available choices. It almost always is. Who decides? So we learn that they pick a neutral emissary, and we also learn that Ortega can refuse the weapon he chooses. And force you to take your second choice. Bob says, meaning that regardless of what happens, if he doesn't want to fight you in magic, he won't have to. Ortega didn't get to be a warlord without thinking things through, Harry. Odds are that he has a good idea why you could do, sorry, has a good idea what you can do and has planned accordingly. What do you know about him? Not much. Presumably he's tough. Bob's eyelights stared at me for a minute. Well, Napoleon, I'm sure he'll never overcome that kind of tactical genius. <laughs> <laughs> and so the point is that you better, you'd better you be better off taking something you can predict. And then they start talking about seconds, and he says, Ah, yeah, I don't have a second. Bob's skull turned a bit on its shelf and banged its forehead gently onto the brick wall a few times. Then get one dolt, obviously. I got another pencil and a pad of yellow lined paper and wrote to do across the top and asked Michael about duel underneath it. It's just so perfect. Ask Michael about duel. Check. Okay, moving on. <laughs> and then he's, you know, he is tasking Bob with a, with a, giving Bob a task. He wants him to find out whatever he can about Ortega before dawn and starts asking about the, the uh, the plague curse. And he said it was a really big curse. Bigger than that spell the Shadow Man used to tear hearts out a few years ago. Yikes. And Harry's like, well, what kind of power would it take? That guy was using thunderstorm and ceremonial rites. And Bob says it's possibly a human sacrifice or a sorceress ley line. Someone is playing some serious hardball then, Bob mused. Maybe the wardens used it to get nasty on a red court agent. They wouldn't, I said. They wouldn't use magic like that, even if technically it was the diseases that killed the guy. It's too damn close to breaking the first law. And they don't, they really, 
are trying to figure out who has that kind of power. He shows Bob the tattoo and Bob said, it's a pretty popular occult symbol. And so he uses it. plenty of groups, brotherhoods connected to the white council, historical societies, a couple of fringe groups of occult scholars, personality cults, television psychics, comic book heroes. And then he writes, he draws out the symbol from Ursiel's forehead. Do you recognize this? And Bob gets frightened. I love this reaction. Yes. The skull's voice was frightened. And I get nervous when Bob gets frightened. Not much can scare Bob out of his usual wise-ass commentator state of mind. I tore up the paper. I guess you recognize it. (laughs) And he says that he needs information on them. They're in town. They've taken a shot at me. And I'm betting they're after the shroud. Let them have it, Bob said. (laughs) Seriously. You've got no idea the kind of power this group has. And yeah, it's the Fallen, the Black and Denarius. They have to play by the rules, right? Harry, it isn't just the Fallen. The people they've taken are nearly as bad. They're assassins, prisoners, warriors, sorcerers. Sorcerers? The coins make them effectively immortal. Some of the Order have had a thousand years to practice, and maybe more. That much time, even modest talents can grow teeth. Never mind everything experience would have taught them. Everything they could have found to make themselves stronger over the years. Even without infernal superpowers, they'd be badass. I frowned and tore the the bits of paper into smaller bits. Badass enough to manage that curse? There's no question that they'd have the skill. Maybe enough that they wouldn't need as big of a power source. Hmm. So he asks Bob to track down the, the shroud. No can do. I am a spirit of in- intellect, Harry, of reason, logic. The shroud isn't about logic. It's an artifact of faith. That doesn't make any sense. You don't know everything, Harry. You don't even know a lot. I can't touch this. I can't come anywhere near it. Even if I try, I'll be crossing boundaries I shouldn't. I'm not going up against angels, Dresden, fallen or otherwise. That's a very interesting line. He called he called him Dresden. It's hmm. throughout this whole thing he says Harry, 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 Harry. I'm not going up against angels, Dresden, fallen or otherwise. He's no longer jovial. He's no longer his friend. He's I, to me. This is a line in the sand. This is this is serious. Bob is oh, yeah. being very serious and calling like him Dresden. That's a good catch. Yeah, calling him Dresden. The first time I heard that, I was like, "Ooh, Bob's calling him Dresden. Ooh, we serious now." And so that was a big one where it's like, "Oh God, we got to take this shit serious." And so he says, "All right, well, is there somebody I can talk to? And maybe Ulshavaras." Asharavas, sorry. Usharavas. Usharavas. Ushara who? Usharavas. She's an alley of the Loa, an oracle spirit. There's details about halfway through your copy of Dumont's Guides to Divinators. How are her prices? Reasonable. You've got everything you need for the calling. She usually isn't malicious. Isn't usually? The Loa are basically good guys, but they all have their darker spots too. Ushavaras is a pretty gentle guide, but she's been harsh before. Don't let your guard down. I won't. One more thing. Swing by Marconi's place and see if there's anything interesting there. You don't have to go all David Niven. Just take a look around. You think Marconi's involved in this one? His thugs already took a poke at me. I might as well find out whatever I can. 
I give you permission to leave in pursuit of that information, Bob. And Bob reminds him to light the ward flames. And Harry's going to make a recipe, mix up that recipe for anti-venom. But he gets down the ward flames and lights a three candle holder with green, yellow, and red candles on it. He lit the green one and set it aside. He starts looking up to summon the Oracle Spirit, and she needs a homunculus to manifest in the mortal world. Dumont recommended a newly dead corpse, but <laughs> as I, as the only one I was likely to find was my own, I needed a substitute. I found it in another box and plopped it down in the center of my summoning circle. He puts out some whiskey and a tin of chewing tobacco. And again, adds to his to-do list, get more scotch and Prince Albert in a can. And he starts the summoning. Osharavas, 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 one lost in ignorance seeks you. One darkened by the lack of knowledge seeks your light. Come, guardian of memory, sentinel of the yet to come. Accept this offering and join me here. At the conclusion of the ritual words, I release the power I'd been holding, sending it coursing from me into the circle, and though it never and through it to seek out the oracle spirit in the never never. The response came immediately. A sudden swirl of light appeared within the copper circle and briefly made the barrier around it visible as a curved plane of blue sparkles. The light drizzled down over the homunculus. And a moment later, it twitched, then sat up. Welcome, Oracle, I said. Bob the Skull thought you might be of some help. The homunculus sat up and stretched out pudgy arms. Then it blinked, looked at its arms, and rose to stare down at itself. It looked up to me with one tiny eyebrow raised and asked in a tiny voice, A cabbage patch doll! You expect me to help you while wearing this! That made me giggle out loud. Because I was trying to think, what would he use? What would he use? And then when it was a cabbage patch doll, I was like, oh, God, that's hilarious. And she said, so you want to know about the shroud and the people who stole it? Yeah, actually, you're pretty good. There are two problems. First, I don't work for Bokor. I'm not a Bokor. You aren't a Hungun. You aren't a Mambo. That makes you a sorcerer. Wizard, I'm with the White Council. You're stained. I can feel black magic on you. It's a long story, I said, but mostly it isn't mine. Some of it is. I found it the doll and then nodded. Yeah, I've made a bad call or two. But honest, Osharva said. Well enough. Second is my price. An honest answer to one question. Answer me and I will tell you what you seek. Answer only this. Why do you do what you do? I blinked at her. What do you mean? You mean tonight? I mean always, she answered. Why are you a wizard? Why do you present yourself openly? Why do you help other mortals as you do? Uh, I stood and I, I said, I stood up and paced over to my table. What else would I do? Precisely. You could be doing many other things. You could be seeking a purpose in life in other careers. You could be sequestered and studying... You could be using your skills for material gain and living in wealth. Even in your profession as an investigator, you could do more to avoid confrontation than you do. But instead, you consign yourself to a poor home, a dingy office, and the danger of forcing all manner of mortal and supernatural foe. Why? What the hell kind of question is that? An important one. 
and one that you agreed to answer honestly. Well, he said, I guess I wanted to do something to help people, something I was good at. Is that why? she asked. I chewed over the thought for a moment. Why had I started doing this stuff? I mean, it seemed like every few months I was running up against situations that had the potential to horribly kill me. Most wizards never had the kind of problems I did. They stayed at home, minded their own business, and generally speaking, went on with their lives. They did not challenge other supernatural forces. They didn't declare themselves to the public at large. They didn't get into trouble for sticking their noses in other people's business, whether or not they'd been paid to do so. They didn't start wars, get challenged to duels with vampire patriots, or get the windows shot out of their car. So why did I do it? Was it some kind of masochistic death wish? Maybe a psychological dysfunction of shorts? Why? I don't know, I said finally. I guess I never thought about it all that much. Don't you think you should? All right, and thank you for your help. <laughs> she tells him that the Shroud and the thieves have rented a small vessel docked in the harbor. It's a pleasure craft called the Tranger. And she says, one thing more, wizard. You must know why the Knights of the White God wish you to stay away from the Shroud. Why? They received part of a prophecy. A prophecy that told them that you should, should you seek the Shroud, you will most assuredly perish. Only part of a prophecy? I asked. Yes, their adversary concealed some of it from them. Why are you telling me this? Because you must hear the second half of the prophecy in order to restore balance. Should you seek the shroud, Harry Dresden, you will most assuredly perish. So what happens if I don't? The doll lay down on her back and wisps of light, wisps of light began flowing back out of her. Back from whence Olsharvas came. Her voice came to me quietly as if from a great distance. If you do not, they all die, and this city with them. I know I read a lot of that, but the reason is because we get Harry's purpose. While he says he doesn't know what his purpose is, he goes through all of these reasons. Why does he do this? And then at the very end, if you do not, they all die, and this city with them. That's why he does it. It all tied it up in such a nice bow. And it's so, I really love this chapter. And I know oh. I read a lot of it. Oh, but no, it's I, so I, I, love, good. I love it. And like, even more when uh, Ulsharva says, you know, he says, I don't know, I guess I never really thought about it all that much. And Ulsharva says, don't you think you should? Mm-hmm. After watching him with unnerving intensity mm-hmm. for a full minute, I just, I like you're saying, it's, it's kind of his raison d'etre here. But it's a Cabbage Patch doll watching him intentionally. (laughs) Which is even creepier. And I love that the serious, deep conversation is with a Cabbage Patch doll. Exactly. But it's so hairy. And you notice, he never told her his name. Should you seek the shroud, Harry Dresden, you will most assuredly perish. Oh, interesting. Sorry, I noticed noticed these things when I was listening. Yeah, no, I I didn't catch that. I liked that a lot. Because he straight up says, I won't give you my name. But she knows it already. Interesting. And we know the importance of names. And in this chapter, there's two instances where names are important. So, yeah. I hate this cryptic. Ha- okay. Uh-uh. I love this chapter so freaking much. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a very good chapter. Uh-huh. I hate cryptic warnings. I know. The whole cryptic remark concept is part and parcel of the wizard gig. <laughs> it just doesn't suit my style. I mean, what good is a warning like that? 
all three nights and the population of Chicago would die if I didn't get involved and my number would be up if I did. That sounded like the worst kind of self-fulfilling crap. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's a case to be made for prophecy. Don't get me wrong. Mortals, even wizard, all exist at a finite point in the flow of time. Or to make it simple, if time is a river, then you and I are like pebbles in it. They exist in one spot at a time, occasionally jostled back and forth by the currents. Oh, I just love the description there. Um, Mm -hmm. Time is a river. Yeah. I just, there's so much in, this book is quite good. Yeah, everything is so well depicted. It is, and the way all the different chunks fit together, even so far when they're supposed to not really all have clunked together yet, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of meaning you can take and kind of connections you can take from it all. Yeah, Um, I really love it. We get Harry's one-sentence philosophy on prophecy. Mm -hmm. I don't put much stock in prophecy. Uh, I like it. You know, there's this idea of like oracles can't give too much information because then it'll change the future. And then the warning that they're giving won't make sense anymore. And then you get out of this paradox bullshit. I know it makes my head hurt too. (laughs) So I I just like his, no, I don't put, I don't put much stock in, in prophecy. He's going to go out and make, make his future. But also, he says, the risk of imminent death just didn't hit me the same way it used to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just, that's, I mean, it is Harry in a nutshell. It really, truly is. And it's, it's just, I just love this character so much. And the more I read him, the more I like him. Yeah. And, it, you know, he says, he, we know he doesn't like bullies and he doesn't like threats. Mm-hmm. He says, as well-intentioned, polite, and caring as Michael's threat had been. It still made me want to punch someone in the nose. <laughs> um, and the Oracle's prophecy had been another kind of threat of sorts. Mm-hmm. And I don't let spirits from the never, never determine what I'm going to do either. And finally, if the prophecy was right, Michael and his brother knights could be in danger. And they had saved my skinny wizard's ass not so long ago. I could help them. They might be heaven on wheels when it came to taking on bad guys in a fight, but they weren't investigators. I love that. There's just so much to love. That's the first, like, less than the first page of this chapter. I know. But I'm telling you, like, the the chapters in this section I said at the beginning were great. I love this book so far so very much. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, I've even said before that a lot of it, the plots, the plots of these aren't really my favorite part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more about the interactions and the characters and hundred percent like this. This also seems to have a pretty stand up plot so far too, or certainly mm-hmm. at least one of the more interesting plots we've had. Um, oh, definitely of the novels as well. So, you, and I think that's why it feels so strong already. Mm-hmm. Eight and a half chapter, eight and a, a page chapters in because you have all the good stuff, all the character interactions. We've got new characters that we love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fucks the shit with Larry Fowler, just all this random stuff that would make for a great Dresden novel. And then we seem to also have a really interesting through line with this kind of more coherent plot than we've seen in a lot of the novels so far that I really mm-hmm. like. Um, I might have just jostled my microphone a ton during that, but we'll that's see okay. how it goes. Um, but no, it, it really is. There's a lot of um, development. I mean, we're nine chapters in. 
We are 28% in. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is some great character development. And we've talked throughout about how much we love his characters and his, his, the way he tells a story. Like we might not be all hung up on the, all of the plots, but the way it's done, I really oh, yeah. do appreciate throughout this whole thing. So in the past, we've had him making potions be a whole chapter. Mm-hmm. This is literally the entirety of him making a potion. Mm-hmm. I used stale coffee as my base. To that, I added hairs from a skunk for scent, a small square of sandpaper for touch. I tossed a small photo of meatloaf, which I love. I would do anything for a potion, but I wouldn't do that. A cut from a magazine for sight. A rooster's crow I'd stored in a small quartz crystal went in for hearing and a powdered aspirin for taste. I cut the Surgeon General's warning label from a pack of cigarettes and chopped it fine to add in for the mind and then lit a stick of incense I sometimes use while meditating and wafted some of the smoke into the two bottles for the spirit. Once the potions were bubbling over a burner, I drew my wearied will and released power into the mixes, suffusing them with energy. They fizzed and frothed with gratifying enthusiasm. I let them simmer for a while, took them from the fire, and emptied them into a pair of small sports drink bottles. That's it. Yep. Again, we progressed to, to such a point that it's not even worth spending time on that process anymore. Harry's already leveled up. Really, without any any external power given to him, he's just become so much better at using his power that I mean, it's not much different than the process he used in the past, but it's more, it's almost mundane at this point. He throws some stuff into a bucket, adds some will, and then we move on. It's because now it's become something that is a simple part of our world. And you know, this world that we live in with Harry. Oh yeah. It's, it's I love that it's now, it's no longer something that is, it needs emphasis. It's just, okay, this is part of our world. Now Harry needs to do this. He's preparing. It's like making a meal. Yeah, I will say this is something we go away from making potions, potions, and I wish we'd do more of it. Just even, you know, just the uh, rooster's crow stored in a small quartz, quartz crystal, you know, that kind of stuff that we've I talked about. I love those past. things so much. It's just, they're just little things that are so good and they don't matter, but they're just great, you yeah. know? <laughs> Again, it's part of the world building. Exactly. So he nods off and then his phone ring, the phone rings and wakes him up and it's Ebenezer tells me he sound tired as a coal, uh, as a coal mine mule. Um, He's been up all night and you know, he's tells him that, Hey, we want to let you know, don't worry about this dual nonsense. We're going to slap it down. He meant obviously by we, we is a lot of people. In this case, it's seven members of the senior council, not just him and the mouse in his pocket, not just him and the mouse. He says, slap it down. No, don't do that. You want to fight this duel? Did you fall down and hit your head, boy? Tell me about it. I'll work out something and it'll give me a shot at winning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Ortega brought a bunch of people in the town, some goons, and he says they're going to, if they, we don't face him, then he's going to have a bunch of people killed, which is probably enough reason to fight the duel. Bad news bears on that one. And, you know, again, we, we hear more of kind of what Susan intimated before that the red court is divided over the issue. There's a lot of them who want the, who don't want the war to end. And then we get a little bit of a description of where we're at as far as the white council 
in this war. Where Ebenezer says that fool of a Merlin won't let us take the offensive. He thinks his fancy wards will make him give up. And how's that, how are they working out? Well enough for now. One major attack has been pushed back by the wards. No more council members have been killed on attacks in their home. Though they're putting pressure on them. And a few wardens have died in some intelligence uh, gathering missions. But basically right now the Merlin's plan is to sit on his ass. And hope that yeah. the war just ends. Which. I know you like. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And we definitely haven't heard a whole lot about the war as far as kind of major movements, which is so it's cool that we get this. Even it's just a quick conversation, but it's a quick conversation with somebody pretty high up who knows what's yeah. going on. And then they have a, a very interesting and totally different conversation where. Ebenezer asked about that telescope they set up in the loft. Uh, they thought they'd discovered an asteroid when they were younger. It turned out to be a Russian satellite. <laughs> Understand this whole. Asteroid Dresden was a better name than Cosmos 5. What was that? I don't understand this whole interaction. I have it highlighted because I'm like, what does this mean? Yeah. Well, and Harry tells us what he what he thinks it means in a second. Yeah. Here. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like it just doesn't seem like. I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. It's definitely kind of out of the blue. And I think we're supposed to recognize that. That is out of the blue. And we're supposed to recognize more than Harry how out of the blue it is. Because Harry very clearly doesn't. No, he doesn't. Um, you know, Harry thinks it's just an old-timey way to invite him to come hide out mm -hmm. at his spot in the Ozarks. Which it may also have been that, you know, at the farm near Hog Hollow, Missouri. It's <laughs> just something I love saying, Hog Hollow, Missouri. <laughs> And, you know, Ebenezer doesn't like bullies either. So he really understands why Harry wants to take this duel. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is an opportunity to, if not end the war, to at least really put a pin in it and really give at least his, his people in Chicago an opportunity to be safe um, and let the Merlin worry about everybody else, basically. <laughs> like he says, if he can work out to make the duel into some kind of pizza eating contest, he might have a shot. But, which I uh, love, which I absolutely love. I don't think the Pizza Express Hungry Man special was on the list of approved <laughs> weaponry. So spectacular. He checks the clock, realizes it's almost dawn and Bob's not back yet, which is a problem. And after just a few moments here, we do see Bob slowly but surely flowing down the ladder and getting back into his skull. Purple globs of glowing plasma dribbled from the cloud. Basically, he's bleeding, which is... Scary. No, yeah, certainly. We have never seen Bob have anything be able to stop him. And, you know, Harry asks, Hell's Bells, are you all right? No. <laughs> Monos <laughs> Bob, monosyllabic? Crap. <laughs> I do like. Yeah. The realization, oh, God, this is bad. Row. Yeah. He needs rest. But before he can rest, he has to report because that was, that was the, what he was tasked with. In order to leave this, the in order to be able to leave the skull, he had to go find this information and come back and report on it. So you see, kind of again, how this world operates. Even something as powerful and as knowledgeable as Bob, who you know seems to just not care what Harry thinks as often as he does, is compelled in this scenario to report. So That's he tells him that there were wards at Marcon's. Like, how the hell did Morcone get wards? Yeah. Magic? 
Okay. Bob's fine. If he can be snarky, he'll be okay. Yeah, I do. Um, I do love him so much. And the wards were too good, so he couldn't find out much about him. He found out that uh, Ortega's staying at the Rothschild. He's got half a dozen vampires with him. Another good chunk of mortals. And that's really it. But the, the wards are certainly interesting. Again, one of those, this chapter is chock full of, oh, interestings. A yeah. lot of questions without answers that we're definitely supposed to acknowledge and go, hmm. <laughs> but there's really not much else we can do with it. So we move on until Bob gets back in the skull and he's about to blow out the ward flames when the green candle hisses and shrinks to a pinpoint of light. The yellow candle flares up without warning, brighter than an incandescent bulb. Harry starts getting upset. Something's getting closer. And when the green spread, uh, when the green flame spreads to the yellow, there's a problem. And it's probably about a couple blocks out. And then the yellow candle dims and the red candle explodes. It says stars and stones, which is one of the more, uh, holy shit, a bit, a bigger level of holy shit. And, Something very, very strong is very, very close is where we're at. Um, the red, the red candle flame is set up to be a warning for only a few dozen yards from his house. God damn it. He slept for like an hour <laughs> in a chair. So he's he, in, a, in a stool. Rather, he dashes uh-huh. up the ladder from the lab and he is ready to fight. Ready to rumble. All right. right. So he gets up the ladder in time to hear a car door shut. And he gives us just a little aside. I'd lost my 357 during a battle between the fairy courts hosted on clouds over Lake Michigan the previous midsummer. So I moved my 44 from the office to home. Wait a minute, though. Didn't I thought his all his tools were re- re- returned at the end of all his now. magical tools were, but not the 357, but oh, not okay. the gun. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, I obviously, that was it's, well, it's steel. It's iron. So they wouldn't be able to. Oh, it. there you go. That makes sense. The, the brownies couldn't help him with that. Okay. So he's got it hung by the, on the gun belt on a peg by the door and a basket with holy water, a couple of cloves of garlic, vials of salt and iron, iron filings filled the basket intended to be door prizes for anything that showed up in an attempt to suck my blood, carry me off to fairyland or sell me stale cookies. All right then. And so he's expecting flashes of magical discharge, demon howls, maybe even some kind of pyrotechnics as evil magic clashed against my own defensive spells. Instead, I got seven polite knocks. Who's there? A low, rough man's voice growled, The Archive. The Archive has been appointed emissary in this dispute and is here to speak to Wizard Dresden about the duel. How do I know you are the one? How do I know you know who you are? Slips a piece of paper under the door. Documentation, Wizard Dresden, the voice replied, and a pledge to abide by the laws of hospitality during this visit. He opens the door and there's a big dude there who's obviously carrying. Dresden, he asked. Yeah. I eyed him up and down. You don't look very archive-esque. He lifted his brows, a mildly interested expression. I'm Kincaid. You're wearing a gun. Only when company comes over. I haven't seen any of the council's people carrying a gun. Good for you. This shouldn't take long. What do you mean? And a little girl shows up at the top of the stairs. She was adorable, maybe seven years old, her blonde hair still baby fine and straight, clipped neatly at her shoulders and held back with a hairband. 
She wore a plain little corduroy dress with a white blouse and shiny black shoes, and her coat was a puffy down-filled jacket that seemed like a bit of overkill for the weather. You can't be bringing a small child into this. Sure I can. What, you couldn't find a babysitter? He is my babysitter. I felt my eyebrows shoot up, or more accurately, my driver. Are you going to let us in? I prefer not to remain outdoors. Aren't you a little short for a librarian? I am not a librarian. I am the archive. Hang on a minute. What do you... I am the archive, the child said, her voice steady and assured. I assumed that your wards detected my presence. They seemed functional. You! You've got to be kidding! The air around her fairly, fairly hummed with power, different from what I would expect around another wizard, but strong all the same. A quiet and dangerous buzz, like that around the high-tension power lines. This girl had power. She had a hell of a lot of power. I can explain it to you, wizard, but not out here. I have neither an interest or an inclination to do you any harm. Perhaps the opposite. I frowned at her. Promise? Promise, the child said solemnly. Cross your heart and hope to die? She drew an X over her puffy jacket with one index finger. You don't know how much. Make up your mind, Dresden. I'm not keeping her out here for long. What about him? I asked the archive and nodded toward Kincaid. Can he be trusted? Kincaid, can you be trusted? You're paid up through April. After that, I might get a better <laughs> offer. There. Kincaid can be trusted until April. He's an ethical man in his way. I fucking love Kincaid. We have him for two seconds, and I love him, and I want him to come back. But what were you going to say? All right. My uh, things are all sw- swapped up. Um, that's a really sad response from the archive. You don't know how much? Cross your heart and hope to die. You don't know how much. Oh. That is. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't see that. That is really sad. Yeah. But then she goes on to talk about how I do love how wiz- the Kincaid says, be nice to the little girl, wizard. I've handled your kind before. You get more threats before 9 a.m. than most people all day. But she also talks about how, you know, she it's is. Nice, though, just to agree with what you said, I, I, I do love Kincaid as well. I mean, he's fantastic. But she, he also, she, you know, we learned she's the sum of human knowledge passed down from generation to generation, mother to daughter, cultural science, philosophy, lore, tradition. And then we learned that she, it was passed down when her mother, as she was born, that her mom was not dead technically, but that she, all that she knew and was and was came to me. She became an empty cup, a persistent vegetative state. She's free of it, but she certainly isn't alive in the most vital sense. She's free of it. Free of it. That makes so much sense with the you don't even know how much. Yeah, exactly. That That's what I was kind of referencing with. The- There's some sort of horribleness there. Exactly. It's not a privilege to be the archive. It is. No, it's a, it's a chore. It's a task. Yeah, It's a job. Um, but I do also love when he asks, if you know that much, if you are that powerful, why did you hire a bodyguard to bring you here? My feet don't reach the pedals. Oh, right. <laughs> but then we also learn how important it is for Harry to choose a second ASAP in preparation for the duel. I will need some information. Namely, where I might contact your second, and what weapon you prefer for the duel. I don't have a second yet. Then you have until sundown this evening to gain one. Otherwise, the match and your life will be forfeit. Forfeit? Uh, how would the forfeit be collected? The little girl stared at me for a silent moment. Then she said, I'll do it. She does not fuck around. 
No. And so she asks him to choose a weapon. It's his will, skill, energy, or flesh. Wait, I thought I got to pick guns or swords or something. Read your copy of the Accords. I chose, I choose what is available and I choose the ancient ways. You may match wills with your opponent to gauge which of you is most determined. You may match your skill at arms against his, each of which, each of you with weaponry of your individual choosing. You may wield energy forces against each other. You may challenge him to unarmed combat. I would advise against that last. Thanks, I muttered. I'll take magic, energy. And she says, you know, she, like Bob said, he can decline that and you'll be forced to choose another. And Harry says, yeah, but until he does, I don't have to pick another one. <laughs> Makes sense. Girl. And then Kincaid knocks on the door and it's been 10 minutes. And then Mr. emerges from the bedroom his laz- and lazily arched his back. He patted over to me and rubbed his shoulder against my shin by way of greeting. Ivy blinked and looked down at Miss- Mr. And her child's face was suddenly suffused with pure and uncomplicated joy. She said, Kitty! And I and immediately knelt down to pet Mr. Mr. apparently liked her. He started purring louder and walked around Ivy. Hell's bells, it was adorable. She was just a kid. A kid who knew more than any mortal alive. A kid with a scary amount of magical power. A kid who would kill me if I didn't show up to a duel. But still a kid. I glanced up at, at Kincaid, who stood frowning down at Ivy, fawning all over Mr. He shook his head and muttered, Now well, that's just creepy. Mr. Knows Things. We are at the very beginning of, you know, this, our second chapter in here, I think, where he says that Mr. would run away for something bad. Mr. Knows she's not bad. Mr. Has mystical powers. <laughs> I'm doubling down on that shit. Did you touch on where Ivy came from? I didn't. It's um, archive, archivey, Ivy. But and they, this is, a, that was the other thing I meant to talk about. Names. Harry has to have names for people and whether they're nicknames or what their names. And that was another thing. So in this, in this, we've got Bob calling him Dresden. We have the Oracle knowing his name Mm -hmm. and we have him giving Ivy a name. Names, names, names all over the place. Oh yeah. I mean, we, we learned all the way back in Stormfront, the importance of names. I know, but this, it's just been like doubled down here and I love it. Oh yeah. No, it just definitely, it it accelerates for certain, but that is without saying too much. I mean, that, that's an important moment in both, you know, that's just, it's an important moment there, right? Like, yeah, the archive does not have a familiar name. I am the archive. I've always been Mm -hmm. the archive. She has nothing outside of being the archive. And now she has a name. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a nickname, whatever. But it's just, as we know, in this universe, these things do matter and they add up. Um, small, small things can become small things or little things or big things, as my mm-hmm. old coach used to say all the time. Well, and the thing is, so he humanizes her. Mm-hmm. And then she sure, humanizes. And she was a human, which is yes. important to note. Yes. But yeah, no, he definitely does. He humanizes her. But he then she, for sure, that's the right word. She humanizes herself even more, Mister. Yeah, I do love that. And it's just like I felt like that was very significant, but also, Mister has mystical powers. I swear he does every such, single time. He's such a good boy. He is such a good kitty cat. Or is he? <laughs> he's not a good kitty. No, or is he a, not a cat? He's still good, no matter what he is. He's very, very good. He's a very good boy. 
<laughs> All right, moving on. Um, <laughs> Kincaid is just so ridiculous. It's, now that's, that's just creepy. creepy. I love it. Looking at a, a little girl playing with a cat. So he talks about how reluctant Ivy was to stop petting Mr. Again, you know, he leans into some other thoughts, but just that I, I like their relationship too. her, her, her mm-hmm. hanging out, petting Mr. It's just very cute. It's a cool interaction that again, how much of that does she get being able to be a little girl? I would imagine not that much. I don't know how good of a uh, yeah driver in Kate is, but her feet don't reach the pedals. That I love that so much. Uh, so he calls the number expecting to leave a, a message for father Vincent, but Vincent answers and you know, they just check in with each other. He, you know, we'd already heard Murphy describe that homicide wanted to take over a different case. And there's, kind of some back and forth. And we know that Interpol was involved at some point. And so, you know, he asked how it was going with the police and Harry asks how it was going with the police. And father Vincent says, God only knows. But from my perspective, (laughs) it seems the only thing they've accomplished is deciding which department is going to handle the investigation. (laughs) Harry says homicide. Yes. Though, though the mind boggles at the chain of logic that led to it. (laughs) Um, You know, just hear that. It's, It's basically just politicking. Mm-hmm. You want to get, they're trying to get whatever. Everyone's trying to get the right, the right brownie points from the right politicians. Mm-hmm. But he tells Father Vincent that he has a lead and that he's going to head down to the harbor to check out this craft that Ulsharavas told him about. He obviously didn't tell him that Ulsharavas told him about it. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So he's going to head down there. And again, Father Vincent reiterates that he's not sure how much trust to place in the local police. He posits that maybe that's why the thieves fled here because there's some advantage over the authorities. Mm -hmm. He's thinking about Mark Harry. Then obviously his brain goes to thinking about Mark. We know that Chicago PD has a reputation for corruption that dates all the way back to prohibition. Prohibition. I can see his face. Robert De Niro, Al Capone. Al Capone. I'm like, I can see his face. Rip out your eyes and piss into your dead skull. I don't know if that's an actual quote or just from the documentary, The Untouchables, starring Kevin Costner. <laughs> and uh, he asks Father Vincent if he has some pieces of the shroud, you know, just like some threads or something, which he can use to ostensibly to confirm identification when he finds it. In real life, he's looking to do a tracking spell where he can use the threads to find the rest of the shroud. But again, Father Vincent doesn't buy into the magic thing, so he'll get a sample FedExed out from Rome, and Harry can use it for whatever it is that Harry's gonna use it for. Then he's on the hunt for his second, so he calls over to the carpenter home, and unfortunately, a woman answers the phone, and uh, uh it's certainly an interesting exchange. He says, "Hi, Charity. It is Harry Dresden." And she says, "Hi. It's not Charity. Molly, you sound so grown up." Yeah, the breast fairy came to visit and everything. You want to talk to my mom? Oh, weird and creepy. It is that. 
But the thing is, it's not Harry doing the weird and creepy. It's just Molly being odd. She says, oh, do you want to speak to my mom? He's like, well, is is your dad around? <laughs> Don't want to talk to mom. Check. He's working on the addition. Let me go get him. She goes to look for him. And a Harry that Charity actually likes a little bit picks up the phone. And he hears a woman who sounds a lot like Molly, only less cheerful. <laughs> she says, no, sweetie, don't play with the phone. Give that to me, please. And she says, hello. And that is Charity. He says, it's Harry calling for Michael. And she says, I suppose it was inevitable. Naturally, if there's a situation so dangerous as to require all three of the knights, you come crawling out of whatever hole you live in. Uh, actually, this is sort of unrelated. I assumed it was. Your idiocy tends to strike at the worst possible place and time. Oh, come on, Charity, that's not fair. No. The one time in the last year that Michael most needs to be focused on his duty, to be alert <laughs> and to be careful, you arrive to distract him. I'm trying to help. He has scars from the last time you helped, Mr. Dresden. Bum, bum, bum. And he restrained himself, but he said, You're never going to give me an inch, are you? You don't deserve an inch. Is that why you named your son after me? That was Michael. I was still on drugs, and the paperwork was done when I woke up. You asked last time, or last time this came up, wh whether or not she wanted to name him yeah. that. Yeah. There you go. There's the <laughs> answer to the drugs. It is interesting. Look, Charity, I'm really sorry you feel the way you do, but I need to talk to Michael. Is he there or not? And then Molly picks up and says, sorry, Harry, but my dad isn't here. Sonia says he went, went out to pick up some donuts. Molly, it's a school day. Don't dawdle. Uh-oh. I swear, I, it's like tele she's telepathic or something. This I love how smart-ass she is. She really is. <laughs> that isn't funny, Molly. Get off the line. Molly sighed and said, Surrender, Dorothy! Before she hung up. <laughs> I just love Molly. <laughs> she's pretty great, <laughs> Oh, the Harry tries to turn his laugh into a cough. <laughs> Charity's obviously not convinced and says, I'll give him the message. I'll give, I'll give him a message. Yeah. But what message? <laughs> yeah. And he thinks through this and I, I, I do love that. And, you know, he tries to say, well, just let him know I need to talk to him. And she says, regarding. Mm-hmm. And he ends up choosing honesty, which yeah. again, I like, the only way to certainly get charity on your side, I'm not on his side, but you know what, to like go along with whatever it is would be this, right? Like, so it is self-serving, mm -hmm. but I guess that's not true. Right? I mean, if he lie, if it's a convincing lie that he's probably not capable of coming up with, but if it's a good lie, maybe she'd be able to, you know, get him in touch or whatever. But like, I, I just love that he goes, I, I again, we we talked about this, right? Like he's a good man. Like mm -hmm. he's gonna tell the truth, and and the fact that he even says like, "Tell him I need a second, or bad things will happen." And she says, "To who? Not to whom, but to who?" Um, and he says, "Me." And she pauses, <laughs> a very pregnant pause. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. 
but says she's going to give him your message. And like that he says, pause wasn't significant. It doesn't mean that she was chewing over the thought of intentionally getting me killed in order to protect her children. Uh, and Mr. gives him a look. I know, which I need... obviously probably also isn't significant. Uh-huh, not uh, at all. Just every part of it is so good. And he says, I'm not worried. Not one bit. <laughs> Mr.'s tail twitches. Uh, he shakes his head, gets ready to head out to the harbor to investigate that lead. So he is at the harbor, and he says he feels a sudden slithering pressure on my back in my... Sorry, my instinct's way of screaming that someone was watching me. I kept my head down, my hands in my pockets, and he sees the stranger. And he begins to do his listening trick. We've discussed this before. Listening is a trick I picked up when I was a kid. Not many people have worked out the trick of it, blocking out all other sound in order to to better hear one sound in particular, such as distant voices. It isn't as much about magic, I think as it is focus and discipline, but the magic helps. So he hears a woman's voice in the stranger's cabin. Sorry, cabin. Unacceptable. The job entailed a great deal more expense than was originally estimated. I'm raising the price to reflect this. Nothing more. Would you like an invoice for your tax return then? I told you the quote was only an estimate. It happens. Excellent. As scheduled then. So he starts out on the lake. And I'm going to need to get that in writing so I can get it to my accounting department. Right. Um, he catches a glimpse of motion through a window and heard the chirping sound. A cell phone rested on the counter beside a pad of hotel stationery. A woman appeared in the window dressed in a long gown of dark silk. Answers the phone. I'm sorry, you've got the wrong number. She steps into the shower and he steps onto the plane. It's onto the plane, onto the boat. And he is... Pretty sure these are the remaining remaining church mice. He hadn't seen the shroud hanging from a laundry line or anything. Even so, I had the feeling I'd come to the right place. My gut told me to to trust my spiritual informer. So he gets inside. He goes down to the cabin. And there are... The room wasn't large. Not a lot of places for it to hide. A tiny washing machine and dryer were stacked up on one corner. And a basket of laundry stood atop them. A counter and kitchenette with a couple of small refrigerators, used up most of the rest. I frowned. Two fridges. I checked them out. The first was stocked with perishables and beer. The second was fake, and opened onto a cabinet containing a heavy metal storage box. box. Bingo. I reached out to pick up the strong box. But a thought struck me. The church mice may have gotten themselves into a lot of trouble, but they evidently been good enough to avoid Interpol for a number of years. The hiding place for the strong box was too clumsy and too obvious. I shut the freak fridge and started looking around. Of course, I took a couple of steps toward the washer and dryer and grabbed a laundry basket. I found it under several clean, fluffy towels, an opaque plastic package a little larger than a folded shirt. I touched it with my hand, a tingling sensation pulsed against my palm, and the hairs along my arm rose up straight. Damn, I'm good. I muttered. I picked up the shroud and turned to go. A woman stood behind me. She was elegantly pretty and pleasant to look at. The gun she pointed at my nose wasn't pretty, pretty though. It was an ugly old thirty-eight revolver, a cheap Saturday night special. I was careful not to move. Even a cheap gun can kill you. And I doubted I could rise, raise a shield in time to do me any good. She'd taken me off guard. I'd never heard her coming, never sensed her presence. Damn, I'm good. 
the woman echoed, her accent high British, a touch of amusement in her voice. Put the package down. And he tries to test her. He holds it out and said, here. She says, uh, uh, on the counter. What if I don't? In that case, I'll have a dreary day of chores, dismembering the body and cleaning up the blood. I'll leave it to you. Far be it from me to inconvenience a lady. What a dear boy you are. That's a very nice coat. Take it off, slowly. You tricked me onto the boat. That second phone call was you telling your partner to draw me in. The shocking thing is you fell for it. A stick. How pretty Neolithic of you. Aha! A professional she might be. But she was a straight. So he realizes she's not a wizard. She doesn't know any of the magic, any of that. And the other woman comes in and she, the other woman says she, he's not guessed on. No, he was here about, he was here about the merchandise. Just, he was just about to leave with it. Who are you? Dresden. I'm a private investigator, Miss Garcia. Francisca Garcia's features froze and she traded a look with the gun wielding blonde. How did you know my name? My client told me you and Miss Valmont could be in a lot of trouble. Anna Valmont kicked the wall and spat. Bollocks. She glared at me, gun steady on me despite her out- her outfit. Sorry. Gun steady on me despite her outburst. Are you working with Interpol? Rome. We should scrub the sail. It's falling apart. Not yet, Francisca said. There's no point in waiting. And they re- they find out Gaston's dead. And Anna says, how? How did it happen? Murder. And someone set it up to point the police at Chicago. Who would have done that? Some bad people after the shroud. Killers. Terrorists. Not that and playful. I love the, uh, just that exchange where she says, you know, he isn't coming. Who? I, you know, Dresden asked her, she says Gaston, and like, I didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. Evidently, she could read faces well enough that I didn't have to, you know, like. They knew something bad had happened, and they, they, he confirmed it. They were worried, it. and then all they needed was for him to, like, confirm. basically confirm. Like, oh, shit. Yeah. And, and then the terrorist, not that playful. <laughs> yeah. As long as you have the shroud, your lives are in danger. If you come with me, I can get you to some people who will protect you. You mean the police. I meant the knights, but I knew darn well what their stance would be on what to do with the thieves once any supernatural peril was passed. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're, you know, they gotta, they gotta get rid of him. They don't want to kill him, but we don't, we can't have you running to the police to tell them everything. I wonder what to do with you, mister. Dresden, it really would make a great deal of sense to kill you. And so she pulls out a pair of handcuffs and says, put this on your wrist, put the other one on that ring on the bulkhead. He looks up through the bulkhead. And for the, and the second denarian in 12 hours came hurtling down the stairway straight towards me. So he was obviously on the right path and bad news bears. <laughs> or in this case, bad news. Not denarian. <laughs> no, I know, but it's not. It's He's not, not a bear. He's not a The last one was. The last one was. Yes. Um, I actually don't know. I know which denarian this is, but I don't know the what the actual denarian's name is. I just know what the. Uh, wielder of the coin is mm-hmm. i don't even know if we ever learned that either way um so yeah a, a good little cliffhanger i love i love leaving it on a cliffhanger mm-hmm. <laughs> but also just a good spot and um you skipped over the uh opening couple paragraphs which don't do a whole lot for telling the story i just think they're kind of funny mm-hmm 
the uh, just I always imagine political subversives dressed up as tribal natives and a huge and a huge hit in the profit margin of the East India Company. That was one of my um, favorite. That was one of my favorite quotes. Oh, is that one of your quotes yeah. that's going to come up in a bit? Okay, uh, then we can delete all that. We can delete this part of it. But um, it's just like that introduction. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, it's just like a. It's basically like a parking lot of an ocean going Walmart, and um, that's spectacular. How it's just so ghetto. Yeah, and busy <laughs> and busy. Yeah. I can't even really picture what that, what all that means, but I, I know it's funny. <laughs> yeah. It's spectacular. I do love it. Goodness gracious. All right. So I do love leaving you on a good cliffhanger. I think I just said that. That's okay. Yeah. What, um, first off, what's your first impression on those six chapters? Definitely. Uh, some good stuff going on. Yeah, it, it was. We learned a lot, you know, and we've got a lot. Like I mentioned a couple times, you know, the names where we dealt a lot with names. We dealt a lot with actually belief systems too, because when you, you know, Sonia's conversation and the <laughs> which, is so with, which I love, and the you know the the thirty pieces of silver, and there's just so many things within um, the world that we're learning about, and I love that. Um, and I really, I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed these chapters. I've, I said that like three, three billion times, but I really did. Yeah. The, the name thing in particular is mm-hmm. we've seen it. It's been a big part of Harry's character mm-hmm. throughout the series, right? He, he, it's like a tick, you know, it's almost like a tick mm-hmm. that he needs to give things a name. It helps him understand and comprehend things. Yeah. But it also, I think the word you use was humanize which is a weird word to use about a human, but it, it did. It humanizes yeah. the archive who you can tell doesn't get a lot of that. She's a seven year old girl that I am the archive. Yeah. My, my, my purpose is to be the archive. I have what my mother has. It's like, you know, she's a little robot. She has no father and, function. And I'm not saying that she wouldn't have enjoyed hanging out with Mr. If that <laughs> he didn't give her a name, but it just seems to like almost flip a switch in her where she becomes mm-hmm a totally different type of being. She becomes a child. Exactly. Which I, I love. And I, it's a significant part, significant with capital S, right? A part of what Harry does where he names things like that. And I, and I love to see a, you jump on it and B it kind of in action as we go through this slowly through this series. Yeah. Um, it become more and more a part of what he does. But the other thing, the other, you know, issue, things that we have names, we have Ursiel, we have the name of the spirit who he brings in. I can't remember her name right now. Um, that becomes Usharavas. The, Usharavas. There we go. And then, but we also have Bob calling him Dresden. Dresden. Yeah. That, that was a really, that was something I really just noticed. And, but, and, but also Usharavas knowing his name. I love how bad you are with demons because it gives me like a level of protection from. <laughs> I am so bad with them. So horrible. You, you with had them. this with, um, oh, what was the one in the first one? It doesn't matter. The frog you, one. The frog yeah, one. Yeah. I couldn't say it. And I can't all say of the, the demon name of the... names you struggle with. And I'm, it's oh a very, God. it's very important <laughs> that me and all of our listeners feel a little, that <laughs> tiny bit much safer in the world, knowing well, that you can't. <laughs> when I was in, when I was an undergrad, I was a playwriting major. And I don't I think I've told you the story before. You I have mentioned this, yeah. Where I changed the names of the spells because I didn't want um, my actors to You want to, to accidentally set something. the stage on fire? Exactly. I didn't want to accidentally conjure something. And this, this is, again, it's my brain deciding that it, I don't need to conjure anything. You know what? Uh, 
but it's great. At least, at least one of our brains is making good choices once in a while. <laughs> well, I'm the a funny thing is, even when I'm reading it, even when I have the name in front of me, I can't say it. You have like demon dyslexia? I guess so. But it's it's just, it's a strange sort of thing. There's certain words I can't pronounce and apparently every single demon name. Um, but but we, you know, we do. And one of the other things that I re- I just thought about, um, when he comes across the two remaining church mice, mm-hmm. he has to specify who is who. When he speaks to them, he calls them by name. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, he's doing that just so that they know that he knows their name. It is. But it's still, it's it's a kind of like a, it's an additional Harry thing. Very, very Harry. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. That's interesting. Um. So again, again I just I'm telling you, it's like, a it's like a mm-hmm. it's like a thing that he his brain doesn't work without yeah catching names to things, you know. But That's it makes sense within the world too, within his world, within the things that he's experienced and the things that he oh absolutely lived, you know. So I, I mean, I really do, I really do like that. Um, I and, and I I feel like we got a little bit more information. We didn't get it. This wasn't a ton of information got dumped on us. We just got some clarification. We learned about, you know, the um, the coins. We learned about the um, the fallen. We learned that we learned who the archive was. We learned a little bit more about the uh, duel. We also learned that Marcone is got some supernatural help. Yeah, he the words for sure. And I just feel like that is totally gives credence to my crackpot theory. (laughs) Um, But I mean, there's just so much that we learn in that way. We don't necessarily have a lot of action. We don't have the story is not like moving along at a steady clip, but we have development. We have development Mm -hmm. of the plot. Um, And I, I mean, it's fantastic. And I hope we see Kincaid more. Um, I do like Ivy. Uh, and I love that she loved Mr. Me. <laughs> I just thought that was fantastic. And But it also qualifies that she isn't a baddie. Because at the very beginning of one of the chapters, he talks about how... Um, Mr. knows the bad way. Mr. knows, yeah. Mr. He makes noise and runs away. Exactly. And he actually went to her. So it it kind of... That resonated with me because it's like, okay, Mr. He just said, and it's almost like he said that intentionally. He just said that Mr. Will make noise and run away if it's a baddie. And he literally walks up to the archive. So I really liked that. Absolutely. Um, do you have any more questions? Oh, go ahead. And the other thing I was just thinking about is the, um, in this, chapter appearances or in this series of chapters we have appearances that are significant i don't know if they're significant we have the appearance of the little girl she defies her appearance she's the archive she's she has all the world's knowledge and then we have um is a (laughs) this all-powerful exactly who is embodied in a cabbage patch style incongruity yeah on the two ends of this, you know, on the, and very, sure. Is incongruity a word? I have no idea. One of those is the word. I think it's a, I don't know. 
incongruous. Certainly, it is a situation that is incongruous. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Just rearrange the sentence. That's what I always do. <laughs> go for it. Uh, but you know, but that was that's a really. I kind of liked that where we have these. Yeah, things aren't always what are they seem for sure. Yeah, but we also end up with that with the church mice, where they're playing on looks as well. They're distracting him with looks and. But a, a pretty girl's going to take a shower. I mean, you think Harry's brain is going to work, right? Come exactly. On. Exactly. So it's like, you know, we've got, we're playing on looks. We're playing on the looks here, and it's it's kind of cool. Can't even- Sorry. <laughs> That's true. That is not his fault. <laughs> oh, goodness. But no, I don't really have any lore questions. We discussed some of them. We just, you know, the pieces of silver. We discussed some of that yeah. stuff as we were going. And Yeah, no, another one, uh, Hitting Holmes. Yeah, the edges, the the two the the two sides of the coin of the prophecy. You know, I also yeah, I really did like that that the uh, mm-hmm. the prophecy being them hearing part of the prophecy. Mm-hmm. It's I mean I don't want to say trope by any means, but it's, it's definitely not a unique to this story. No, it's but definitely it's, one of those storylines that is interesting, and it, it it just it's it's a great setup, right? Because yeah. like no no one actually knows what's what, but. It's just a whole to do, and, and I it really took us. Like it. it took a spirit to tell him, yeah, to give him all the facts, to lay all the facts out on the table, and that's. I mean, that's a storytelling trope too. Is when your characters don't know all the information. Hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, we we say trope, but it's not always a negative. Like in this, case, no, 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 no. Story. It's just a, a storytelling story, a standard story technique. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's a reason tropes exist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So. And there aren't, I mean, everything is a trope in some way, shape, or form, usually. Yeah, you're probably so. not going to. It's the old adage that no new story will ever be told. No truly new story will ever be told. Because they've all been told in some way, shape, or form. Exactly. So, good stuff. Um, Beyond that, did you have anything on the yikes front? Yikes. Um, I mean, the whole thing with, uh, with Molly, Molly, that was really creepy. And then the, you know, the watching her being a peepee, peeping Tom as she stripped down, but that was an intentional thing that they did, but it was still kind of like, I wasn't being a peeping Tom. This was professional. I noted that she had some intriguing curves, intriguing curves. Rather. Oh, was that in this, was that in this chunk? Yeah. I highlighted it in yellow. Rather than oh, orange or blue. What chapter is that? Um, it is in chapter twelve. Oh, that wasn't twelve. Page one thirty-four. Oh, oh, that was. I watched. Um, she put the phone down and casually. Yeah, that, the that was yeah. um Francisca Garcia. Yeah. Okay, I thought you were talking about a different part of. No, 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 no. Um, and it was you know obviously it was an intentional on her part, but still just the kind of like it was a little creepy. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really have a problem with that one. As nearly as much as the breast fairy one. Oh, it is um, a little weird. Which again wasn't hairy, but that's not the point of yikes. The point is the problematic, and it, it's definitely mm-hmm. uh, eh, it's not great, and it's not it's a the worst. By, it's not the worst. By yeah, it's just uncomfortable, and it yeah. And we'll talk. And what's more the about, purpose of it? Yeah, like why? Why? Why would that? I mean, I guess it's a, if it's a character who like is trying to make be off putting to Harry, but that's I mean, not something does, a, that's, but that's like something like Murphy would say, 
Yeah, to well, make but the, Harry she also uncomfortable. does say shit to make her sounds like she says shit to make her mother uncomfortable too. Yeah. But it's um, still odd. It's a weird, yeah, it's a, it weird definitely, because we've not met Molly yet. Correct. Yeah. So we don't know if that's a part of her characterization. Yeah. It it just seems a little out there and it a little creepy. It won't be unique. Um, let's just say. So um but definitely, you know, I, I didn't really mind the one the other one at all because that is um I thought that was kind of amusing. Um and it was like you said, it, when it's someone trying to use sexuality as a weapon, I generally don't have ne- an adult <laughs> using yeah. sexuality yeah. as a weapon. I generally don't have nearly as much problem with it. It just seems as... like it happens in every single book. It does. Yeah. No. And again, that's one of those things where like when I was kind of uh, trial ballooning this podcast, uh-huh. that's one of the pushbacks is like, oh, he's always dealing with supernatural creatures and like, you know, beautiful fairy. Like, yeah, but. Sometimes he's not. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I don't have a problem with how he sexualizes uh, Maeve, who's trying to be sexual. It's how he mm-hmm. sexualizes Lily and, you know, and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's the same kind of idea here. Um, but again, it's, it's definitely not like an F or anything like that, but it's certainly, well, and can, there's clean it up no, there's no, with Molly, there's no plot device for it either. Like, what does it do for the story? Oh, Molly, I think is really, Nothing. is pretty bad. Yeah. No, that one I think yeah. is pretty bad. There's no it, reason for it. Again, if it was like a part of her character that like, she yeah. says stuff to like, to fuck with people, yeah. which I mean, she does. And that is sort of part of her character. I just, I just don't think this one lands. No, it doesn't. Especially because it's the first thing we hear from her. Exactly. Exactly. So, Maybe even later in the novel, that same after she comes up a couple times because he spends some time at at the carpenter house. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe it could make sense. I just I don't love it, and I really don't think it's even grasped. Sometimes I I even feel like maybe I'm grasping here. I don't think no, we are. I think it's that unnecessary. was that was unnecessary and just kind of icky. Yeah. So, um, um, uh, all right. So what what about quotes of the week? Where uh, what you got on that front? Uh, okay, I've got a couple. Um. Color me shocked. I know, right? You did not narrow it down to one precise quote of the week. I think I have eight. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, I have to get four or five nowadays just to make sure you don't steal mine. I know, right? Um, here's a good one. I, I understand. All uh, I understand. All right. I said one more wacky B movie, B horror movie reject tried to kill me. It's happened before. It'll probably happen again. I appreciate that one. Um, and. In this corner, one missing shroud, one impossibly and thoroughly dead corpse, one dedicated and deathly, deadly vampire warlord, three holy knights, 29 fallen angels, and a partridge in the pear tree. And in the opposite corner, one tired, bruised, underpaid professional wizard threatened by his allies and about to get dumped by his would-be girlfriend for John Q. Humdrum. <laughs> I like that. It's just... it's That one may or may not be in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> And the last one is when isn't death bad? Uh, the uh, was that Valmont or uh, those uh, the, the church mice on the boat? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's the church mice as they're trying to lock him up. Yeah, <laughs> I did like that one. Yeah, when isn't death bad? Yeah, um, mine were what is the difference? Wizard has a Z <laughs> when he's talking that to Sonya. Um, we did the whole build up, so I'm not going to bore you with it again. But the other one that I really do like, you know how to use magic, I asked. I prefer calculus. 
from That's the archive. Great. Um, those are probably my my tippy top ones. I have one. I have one more. It's another paragraph, but we kind okay, of touched on it. it. It's the description of the harbor. I had always imagined political subversives dressed up as tribal natives and a huge hit in the profit margin of the East India Company. <laughs> I did love that line. I mean, it's just fantastic. That whole section is just like it's great. It's absolutely great. <laughs> Describing the Walmart parking yes, lot. Exactly. Oh. Touche. Awesome. Um, that leads us right into any crackpot theory this week. What do you think? Um, I just had confirmation about two of my crackpot theories regarding Marcone and Mister. Okay. okay. I mean. I've been talking about Marcone's got some supernatural assistance and he's got some juice is what you're saying. Motherfucker has some wards. And anybody can put up wards. No, but you have to. You or I couldn't. Exactly. I can't even say the names. You might be able to. I couldn't. Demons. Um, But between that and uh, Mr. with the archive, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, I did like that description of Mr. as it really does lean into what you're saying, but it's it's, Uh again just like. Mr. at least knows his shit, which he I trust. Something. I trust cats more than I trust like the vast majority of human beings on the well, understand green well. earth. Understand. But, I mean, I like animals better than people anyway. Well, yeah, well, that's that's huh. not you. That's, that's 100% not even of the time. <laughs> that's not a question, okay? Exactly. You're not special there, lady. No. no, um, no I know I'm not. Oh, goodness gracious. All right. Uh, beyond that, do you have anything else or should we wrap this bad boy I up? I don't. All right. So next week we will get through, let's go through chapter 17, chapters 13 through 17. All right. Sounds like a plan to me. And beyond all that, I think we're in good shape here. Um, All right. I said said last week, this one might be kind of tricky to get all the way out. We keep winning in this damn tournament, adding. So I I have a bunch of games this weekend. We'll see uh, how it all shakes out. But uh, beyond that, yeah, life is good. Again, uh, hit us up at the podcast is on fire at gmail.com. It's the easiest way to get in touch. Mm-hmm. Um, we're at all the things when the passwords remember. I don't have a phone right now. Oh, my God. I haven't had a phone for over a week. It is both terrifying and refreshing. <laughs> but uh, we're going to get that all sorted out this weekend as well. Okay. So. But uh, beyond that, we appreciate you. Keep it coming. Keep the uh, feedback and the questions and the, th- and the, oh my God, how are you this stupid that you didn't know? <laughs> um, emails and all of those, et cetera. So um, I appreciate it. And um, thank you so much. I personally, individually, have been Josh. And I am Alyssa. The podcast was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. to practice yesterday the girls had all gone to the uh, farmer's market uh-huh. and I told uh, crew alright Frank's in charge <laughs> you need anything I don't have a phone but Frank's in charge uh, Frank is a cat uh, yeah. <laughs> he's the oldest of the cats 
we think. But he's the more he's the more mature of the two kittens. Ish. <laughs> oh, Drew thinks I'm fucking <laughs> Somebody appreciates me. <laughs> exactly. Good old cruiser. 